Welcome to the Art of Mathematics. I'm Carol Jacoby, and I'm a mathematician. And I'm in Jetta Thackeray, and I'm not a mathematician. Before we get started, let's review that puzzle that I left you with last time. A logician found his three children, who also happened to be very good logicians, playing in the mud. He looked at them. At least one of the three of you has a dirty face. Do you know if you have a dirty face yourself? So they all looked at each other and said in unison, no. He asked again, do you know if you have a dirty face yourself? Again, they looked at each other and said in unison, no. Then he asked them a third time, do you know if you have a dirty face yourself? They all answered in unison, yes. Who had a dirty face and how did they know? All right, here's the puzzle solution. When the question was asked the first time, the three kids each looked at the other two. If only one of them had a dirty face, she would see the other two had clean faces and know immediately that she was the one with the dirty face. This didn't happen. So now all three know that there are at least two dirty faces. Then when they're asked the second time, they already know that. And if anyone sees a clean face, they would know immediately that their face must be dirty and answer that they know. But no one does. So they all then conclude that they all must have dirty faces. And so the third time they're asked, they all know. And so the answer is they all have dirty faces and that's how they knew. Ah. It's a little like a puzzle we had a few weeks ago. The clue is what someone doesn't know. Often what is not known is more fascinating than what is, or at least it's the unknowns that keeps mathematicians intrigued and searching for answers all hours of the day and night. Like lawyers. <laughs> like lawyer, do lawyers do that? <laughs> <laughs> I never imagined mathematicians and lawyers had so much in common, but some of the problems <laughs> seem to be similar. <laughs> now let me give you another solution that's sort of a cheat that some of you may have come up with. You notice that there's no distinction among the children either during the setup of the problem or their responses. Therefore, they must all be the same. And we're told that at least one is a dirty face. So it must be that they all do. This is the kind of approach that makes people good at taking tests, but it's not elegant mathematics. You might recall that the highest word of praise for work of pure mathematics is not precise, useful, or thorough. It's elegant. Today, we're going to explore what makes a work of math elegant. The solution that's sort of a cheat is definitely not elegant. Yes, it's short, much shorter than the desired solution. That's important. You want your math to be concise and to the point, no fluff. What it lacks is insight. How do the children finally know when they didn't know before and seemingly got no new information? This is really what the question is asking. The answer is just an answer, an elegant solution gives insight. This is what we're going to talk about today, elegant solutions. Excellent. I've been wondering how on earth math can be elegant ever since you mentioned it in our first broadcast. Okay, we're going to start with a beautiful theorem, the four-color theorem. It was first posed as a question in 1852 when a map maker noticed that he needed only four colors to color a map of the counties of England. Is this true for every possible map? His brother was a student of the mathematician Augustus de Morgan, 
who raised the question in a math journal. Is it true for any flat map you might draw that you need only four colors so that no areas with common borders are the same color? By the way, if they meet in a point as a four corners, that doesn't count as a border. Now, this is more rightly called the four-color conjecture, since no one had proved it. Theorem means a statement that has been proven mathematically. People have been coloring maps for centuries. Why would we need this theorem? Well, we really don't, as a practical matter. All the maps we've ever encountered can be colored with four colors. Some map makers may even choose to use more colors for aesthetic reasons or because some of the countries are in multiple pieces like Alaska and the rest of the US. This question is pure mathematics, something someone wondered about. I call this the beautiful theorem because it's easy to state and to visualize. It's very specific, four. Why four? It makes mathematicians wonder about it. This is how mathematics gets developed. Someone sees something intriguing and wonders why. Is this always true? Can it be generalized? These explorations often lead to new mathematics or ways of looking at existing mathematics. So here we start thinking about weird gerrymandered maps and wondering what kind of a crazy map we have to draw to force it to require five colors. Can we do it or can we prove there never can be such a map no matter how squiggly it is? I guess I have to ask, do people really try to draw these weird maps? They do. There have been a lot of people coming to mathematicians saying, look at this map I've drawn. You need five colors. And somebody else will take the map and say, wait a minute, if you change all these colors here, you can do it with four. <laughs> There's always another way to do it. Because you couldn't do it, you know, the way you colored it didn't work. There may be a way to do it. All this map drawing didn't seem to be getting us anywhere. So let's think about proving this thing. Now, the proof that you need at least four colors is pretty simple. You imagine a ring of an odd number of countries around another country. It can't be colored with just two colors because if you alternate colors, which you'll need to do going around the ring, the first and last will match. So you need three colors just for the ring and another for the country. For example, Luxembourg shares borders with France, Belgium, and Germany. And those all have to be colored different colors because they all share common borders. Similarly, Austria is surrounded by seven countries. Nevada shares borders with five other states. In all those cases, you'll need four colors. There also is an elegant proof that five is enough. It turns it into an equivalent question in plain graphs, which are essentially just dots connected by lines. I won't go into the proof, but using results already proven about plane graphs, the proof is done in about one page. This lovely little proof was honored by entering a book called Proofs from the Book. In this title, the book is in all caps. Well, why? The eccentric and prolific mathematician, Paul Erdős, believed that God had a celestial book of the perfect proof of every mathematical theorem. When Erdős saw particularly elegant proof, he'd say, that's one from the book. I need some sound effects of a thunderbolt here, some echo or something. <laughs> so there's a simple proof that you need at least four colors and an elegant proof that five is enough. There were also a lot of mathematicians and others, uh, which included my eight-year-old brother at the time, who were drawing and coloring crazy maps trying to prove or disprove it. Finally... 
1976, more than a century after it was first proposed, the four-color theorem was proved by professors at the University of Illinois. So everybody, stop drawing your crazy maps. We are now certain that no matter how crazy the map, you can color it with just four colors. The conjecture is now a real theorem. Mathematicians literally broke up the champagne. The University of Illinois trumpeted their triumph with a postmark. Four colors suffice. Then people looked at the proof. This is definitely not one from the book. In fact, this proof stands as the epitome of inelegance. It defines mathematical elegance by showing us its exact opposite. The proof breaks the problem into 1,834 cases cranked out by a computer, taking 1,000 hours of computer time. And that's just part of the proof. The other part is 400 pages that needed to be checked by hand. This is an elegant, this is brute force. So the huge mass of this proof threw it into question. How's a slow-speed human supposed to check something done by a high-speed computer? Isn't it cheating to use a computer? How do we know this is all correct? Now, eventually, over the years, people cleaned it up, found some errors, fixed them, and then reproduced it using different computer programs and slightly different techniques, somewhat reduced the number of cases. And so people generally believe it now. So what did Erdős have to say about this proof? He said, I assume the proof is true. However, it's not beautiful. I'd prefer to see a proof that gives insight into why four colors are sufficient. Beautiful? Yes. What makes a work of mathematics beautiful? Oh, that's a hard question. You know it when you see it. It provides insight. Maybe it draws surprising links to other branches of mathematics. It inspires further questions. It introduces promising techniques and approaches. There's much more to it that is difficult to describe. Thank you. Well, that's mathematical elegance. What's next? An elegant puzzle for us today. Well, I don't know if this is elegant. I'm hoping one of our listeners comes up with an elegant solution. Here goes. Find a 10-digit number where the first digit is how many zeros in the number, the second digit is how many ones in the number, and so on, until the tenth digit, which is how many nines in the number. Now, this is interesting because it's self-referential. Last time we got into twisty mess dealing with self-referential statements. So you've been warned, this one does have a solution, however. Now, where I found this puzzle, it said, click here to get the solution. I go, oh, wow, I want to see how they did this. But it was just the answer. It was the 10-digit number. Yeah, you can check that it works. Where did it come from? Can you prove this is the only answer? You can get the answer by trial and error, but I'd be interested in an elegant solution proving it's the only possible answer. Now, I don't have one. I have sort of an ugly proof, but I think there's an elegant one out there. So please leave a voice message if you get an elegant one. Here's the puzzle again. Find a 10-digit number where the first digit is how many zeros in the number, 
the second digit is how many ones in the number, and so on, until the tenth digit is how many nines in the number. Next time we'll talk some more about mathematical style when we explore 99 variations on a proof. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a puzzle or something else that you'd like to share on the air, leave a voice message at anchor.fm slash theartofmathematics with hyphens or email me at cjacoby at jacobyconsulting.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.